Don't you hate feeling bored with all the music on your stand? Well, luckily, you never have to feel that way again. JDW Sheet Music offers a wide variety of chamber music pieces for wind players of all ages. Their catalog includes duets, trios, quintets, and even double reed choir pieces for beginner, intermediate, and advanced players. Each of the pieces on the site will include sample pages, audio excerpts, and short descriptions. JDW Sheet Music has also made it possible to access the music sooner through the new digital download-only feature. Pieces that are marked digital download only will be made available immediately after purchase. To learn more about JDW Sheet Music, please visit www.jdwsheetmusic.com. Hey, oboists, have you checked out MKL Reads lately? MKL is the one-stop shop for handmade oboe reads where you can try reads from various makers and then select the one that is best for you. How cool is that? Visit mklreads.com and enter coupon code double space read space dish, all caps, for free shipping on your first order. Hi, I'm Galit Kaunitz. And I'm Jackie Wilson. And you're listening to Double Read Dish. A podcast for oboists, bassoonists, and the people who love them. So I keep waiting to feel like this semester has started. I don't know about you. Like, I'm feeling like, okay, once my recitals over, I'll settle into the new semester. And then I look at my calendar. We're four weeks in. <laughs> girl, we're about to start week five. The semester is a third I over. <laughs> I know. I know. It kind of hit me today. Like, I woke up tired today. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, it starts. <laughs> Well, I was bombarded by all the emails. Set up your appointments for advising fall 2018. I was like, what? But it's still January. Right. right. But it's not January. It is not. It's like (laughs) mid-February. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Double Read Dish. We're lamenting our calendar wake-up call. Uh. (laughs) I'm just going to continue sipping my coffee. So what is new with you? Oh, pretty much the same as you from what I hear so far. (laughs) (laughs) So my colleague Kim Woolley and I, shout out to Kim Woolley, um, are planning like double read clinics on the Mississippi coast Mm. because we realized that, you know, it was just really hard for those students to come all the way to campus. So we're going to go to them. That's awesome. So it's kind of like a satellite double read day. Yeah. Taking your act on the road. Taking the act on the road. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be after school. So there's going to be like, it's going to be sort of a very condensed version, but it's, you know, more doable, I think, in everyone's schedule. Because, man, high schoolers are so busy. It's true. I have one who drives down from the St. Louis area for lessons, and she's like, on Mondays I have chess club. On Tuesdays I have fencing. On Wednesdays I have, I don't know, pastry making. And I'm just like, okay, living your best life. (laughs) And then they're all brilliant, so they're all in the honor society, Mm -hmm. and they all have volunteer work, and they all, oh, my goodness. 
it's really impressive, but I don't remember it being like that when I was in high school. Yeah, I don't think I was one of those students when <laughs> I was in high school. <laughs> Did I tell you that I was co-captain of the color guard when I was in high school? Oh, no, I don't think I knew that. I was very into it. I can see that. <laughs> what does that mean, Jackie? Just, you're very smiley and very enthusiastic, and I thought about it for, like, a hot second, and then I could just see, like, my cynical, like, frowning face, like, just haphazardly twirling this flag. (laughs) I was really intense about it. Well, I was just in your neck of the woods uh, for the JSU Double Read Day. I went down to Alabama to visit Aaron Oft. It was super cool. Tell me about it. I was actually there for several days. I told Aaron... I feel like we were already friends before we met in person, so I was, like, super jazzed to go down. (laughs) And we just hung out. We worked on – the double read day was Saturday, and then on Friday we worked on a super secret project that you know about, but I can't uh, talk about in public quite yet. Um, But It makes me feel more in the know. Yeah, you're in the secret society. (laughs) Um, but so we uh, worked on that on Friday. So I got there Thursday and we just basically like hung out, geeked out. We were like, oh, let's try this vocal. Okay, try that vocal. What about this read style? Ooh, what scrape? And I was telling my husband, like, it was so cool to just geek out with another bassoonist and like, you know, talk tech and talk gear and talk all this stuff. And he was like, Jackie. And I was like, Oh, yeah, I kind of geek out on a regular basis. I have a podcast. (laughs) I was just thinking that, not like you don't do that every two weeks. (laughs) But it was super fun, and, yeah, I I had a blast. And shout out to Aaron Oft, my new bassoon buddy. Um, And then I just had my double read day and had Melissa Bosma out from Oklahoma State University, Mm -hmm. another person who I'd kind of known by proxy and finally got to hang out with in person and had a really, really great day. And she played that Simon Sargon piece that you were talking about. gorgeous? She was playing for the final recital, and I looked over and I caught eyes with one of my SEMO students, and we were just like... Like, she sounded (laughs) so good. It was, yeah, it was just a a great day. Lots of double read time in February. It's a good double read month. I love it. Do you feel like you're on vacation now? (laughs) Well, it just seems like there's an assembly line of stuff. Because I also, just this past Tuesday, did my faculty recital. The big recital. The big recital. Barrio is over. I've thrown that score into the Mississippi River and just let it float on down. Not really, but it was it was ten months. You know what I mean? You had a baby. You had a Barrio baby. I had a Barrio baby, and I've given birth, <laughs> and I'm dropping him off at daycare for a while, not to be seen. <laughs> dropping it off at grandma's. Exactly. <laughs> So do you experience the post-recital depression cycle? No. (laughs) I don't know. For me, it's more like my life is so focused on one goal right before recital that I kind of put a lot of, like, more administrative tasks on hold Mm -hmm. until after it's over. And Mm -hmm. then once the recital's over, I have no more excuse. So then I have (laughs) to focus on the things that I've been putting off. And then I haven't been practicing as much. Or I've been focusing on the things that don't refill my well. Mm-hmm. So then I like I feel like my life is out of balance. I think that's more like what's going on. Right. You know what I mean? Like after a recital. It reminds me my 
one of my good girlfriends got married and it was kind of a big elaborate wedding and her mom the day of the wedding was like, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and what am I going to do? I've mm-hmm. been so focused on this wedding for the past mm-hmm. year. What am I going to do with my life? Yeah. It's like a big mental shift. <laughs> and I'm like, I got the solution. Hulu, <laughs> eat some bonbons, wear some jam jams and live your best life. <laughs> The No Guilt Lifestyle by Jackie Wilson. No matter where you live, Double or Nothing is there for you. Dedicated to providing excellent handmade oboe and bassoon reads to discriminating double read players of all ages and abilities, Double or Nothing Reads has recently expanded to sell double read tools and supplies, gift items, and more. This includes knives, knife blades, thread, staples, cane, bags, and resources for students. As authorized Fox and Yamaha dealers, they offer an extensive range of oboes and bassoons for all levels. In addition, they sell quality used instruments on consignment. If you're looking for private oboe lessons but can't find anyone nearby, Double or Nothing Reads offers oboe lessons via Skype. Visit doubleornothingreads.com for good quality and affordable readmaking supplies and accessories, lessons, instruments, and much more. So we all know that Genda Industries is known for their read knives, sharpening, and overall amazing quality in the double read world. But there is so much more going on at Genda Industries. Did you know that you can get oboe and bassoon reads from Genda Industries at the Artisan Mall? The Genda Industries Artisan Mall It's like a farmer's market, and it's filled with talented local and regional reed makers selling their own reeds. It's a great way to try out some new reeds from new makers. And who knows? One day, maybe your reeds will be for sale. Add the code DRDGENDA, that's all capitals, no spaces, at checkout, and get 10% off any gender reed knife, maintenance kit, reed knife sharpening book, cutting block, and reed tool row. Visit them at GendaIndustries.com. Oh, and they're much more than just reed knives. We are so excited to welcome to the podcast Nermis Miesus, Assistant Professor of Oboe at Bowling Green State University. Welcome. Hello there. Thank you so much for having me. Can you start by introducing yourself to our listeners and telling us how you got started on the oboe? Yes. I I am originally from Puerto Rico, and, and I grew up as part of a church family, and my father was a very musical person. He would sing um, to us and make us sing in the car and also teach us how to sing in, in harmony. And my sisters, my older sister, I have to, um, they had piano and guitar lessons growing up, but I didn't. And I would actually just like sit at the piano on my own and, and mom would always come by and think it was one of my older sisters. But it was, you know, just me playing on the piano, um, trying to make up tunes by ear. Because I, I guess I was, like, craving music um, lessons. But it wasn't my turn yet. I guess I was too young for, for that at the moment or something. Um, the funny thing is, like, my sisters ended up going into the science field in, in their mm-hmm. careers. But it was me who turned it out to be the, the musician <laughs> in the family. Like, I was just so ready for it. Um, 
so I did get a chance to study music when I got into a uh, school that is specialized in music in Puerto Rico when I was going into my seventh grade. And the oboe was actually just assigned to me because it was the, the, the only instrument available. I didn't even know what it was. Um, so I, we had to ask, like, what is this thing? Is that a typo, oboe? <laughs> what is it? I had like, no, no idea what they had assigned me. Um, I selected other instruments like the saxophone and the flute and, and the piano, but I, I guess this instrument was meant for me, so it chose me. And, and as soon as I saw it, because a student came by and um, played it for me, I thought it was like the most unique looking instrument. I, I guess I didn't have a lot of background in classical music before, so um, as soon as I heard it as well, I, I was just enchanted by by this sound. I thought it was so, so unique. So I feel like from that moment, I just, I just knew that's, that's what I wanted to, to play. Um, so I fell in love with it and, and I practiced a ton. I had weekly lessons and ensemble. So that was very nice to get into that routine from, from age 12, basically nonstop in school every week. Um, and I did very well. I got to to solo with the Puerto Rico Symphony um, when I was 15, uh, playing some Albinoni concertos, concerti. And um, at that school, I was lucky to to study with a beloved teacher in the island. Um, many people know him. His name is Rafael Martinez. So he taught me for six years, and um, he was definitely a big influence in in my decision to to study to study music and pursue the oboe, like he he fought for for me to get my first loree. Um He he tried to get me to to go to summer camps in the states, and I was like, uh, no, thank you. I don't know any English. <laughs> I'm, I'm too young to die. I mean, I'm too. <laughs> I was just so afraid. Um, so, but so he, he definitely pushed me um, to to get into into the career. So, um, I mean, he didn't have to push me hard. I, I I definitely wanted it too. But then by the time I I was nearing college, uh, my parents thought it it would be best for me to to not rely. On music as my sole career, um, and that that didn't sit well with my rebellious like teenager. <laughs> I was so mad. Um, so I, you know, time came to to turn in the application for for schools, and I just didn't know what else to to study because really all I wanted to do was was music. So. In the application form, the very first major that was listed alphabetically was business administration because in Spanish is administración de empresas. So mm-hmm. it was the very first thing. So that's what I like check marked and I <laughs> in my application in reach. It was like, whatever, I'm doing this. Um, so, so I went to the University of Puerto Rico for, for that. But I also went to the conservatory, uh, for oboe performance. Um, so basically, I double majored, and I had some semesters with like 
35 credits between the, the two degrees. Wow. And yeah, yeah, that was, that was pretty crazy. Um, I would, um, go to the conservatory in the morning and early afternoon and, and then I would head over to the University of Puerto Rico for like evening classes. Um, so yeah, I had to like pull all nighters and, uh, yeah, it was definitely a rough time, but it, it taught me so much about working hard and multitasking. Like, I would actually study my test reviews during orchestra and things like that. <laughs> I had to, like, <laughs> make the most out of, you know, the the limited hours of the day. Um, I, I wish I had put that investment into becoming a medical doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> If I was actually like pulling that many all-nighters, it might have well been for something that makes more money. I'm kidding. I'm totally joking. <laughs> well, I think I, I proved to my to my parents that that I was very serious about my my career, and and soon I started getting scholarships and uh, getting into camps back home and some offers to actually come study in the States. Um, so, so they were, they were okay with me just dropping my other major. Um, but, but for some reason I, I didn't, I didn't take the opportunity. I just finished it. I just didn't want to not finish what I had already started. Um, so, so I finished that, and and I think that strength helped me um, continue on. I, I I was able to get into the University of Michigan to study with Nancy Amriskin for for my master's, and I was super super extremely lucky to to continue there for my doctorate as well. Uh, then during my time at Michigan, um, I taught private lessons and adjunct at Hillsdale College in Michigan as well, and then Ohio Northern University. I also did some time there. I was gigging a ton, which I loved. And then during my last year of DMA, I got the Michigan Opera Theater, the, the principal oboe position I currently have, and also a visiting position at the University of Kentucky. And both of those were very important to me because I was just starting my career. So, again, it came down to making a huge sacrifice, and, and I ended up putting 40,000 miles in my car in only nine months of the school year. Wow. Oh, man. That was insane. I would get out of opera um, performances somewhere around probably – 10, 10.30, who knows, sometimes 11, depending on how long the operas were. And I would just get in the car and, and get to Kentucky around um, 4 a.m. or so and then teach a class. I, I can't remember if it was something like 8.30 in the morning. <laughs> and, yeah, that, 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 was, that was very very crazy but i i just thought i i needed to to keep these opportunities that were that were coming my way 
So um, after that year was over, I, I got the job that I have currently at Bowling Green State um, University. So you talked about initially your teacher had encouraged you to pursue going into the United States for some opportunities and you were mm-hmm. afraid about that. What was the yes. transition like when you went to University of Michigan? What was that experience for you? <laughs> uh, poor Nancy. <laughs> I... I was usually like so ready for lessons, but I remember this one lesson that I I just I just came in crying, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, as you can imagine, there was no lesson really that day. Um, Nancy was like helping me process my feelings. I didn't even know what it was. I had such a cultural um, shock. Mm-hmm. Um, I I grew up being very talkative and having tons of friends, and when I came to the States, I felt so limited um, with the language. Um, I had to to record classes, uh, the musicology classes. Oh, my goodness, those were the worst. And then mm-hmm. being very studious, I, I just, I, I was so, so anxious about, like, trying to maintain my, my GPA, and, and everything went well, but I, I just found it so challenging um, so I had to record the the lectures and then go home and listen to them again and and like go back and listen to the same thing and go back and listen to the same thing and and sometimes I wouldn't catch words even if I I heard it like 10 times so I would ask my husband like what does this mean um so it just took me forever to do papers and do the work that other um, students would be doing. So so that was pretty shocking for me, um, being, you know, previously a double major and maintaining a very high GPA and this and that. Um, so that plus the fact uh, that um, the I felt like my friends, you know, maintaining friendships was hard because people, I, I didn't have the tools to, to have people uh, really know me mm-hmm. and really know what was really on my mind. And I feel all of those things just accumulate and, and you feel very trapped. Mm-hmm. And I, I can say that the transition was, was very hard uh, for those first years. I, I even had nightmares sometimes that I would be in orchestra and the conductor would be asking me to do something and I just couldn't understand at all what the conductor was saying. So I would like turn to the second oboe, like like what is what what is he saying? What 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 is what does he want? And the second oboe would just be like, you know, in this military position, like facing forward, like not paying attention to me. So I would like frantically like pay attention to the to the flute player and catch their attention, like like what did he ask me to do? I, I don't understand what he's saying. Um so so I, I even had nightmares like that where I was just so overwhelmed with with my language barriers that yeah that will make it into my my sleep <laughs> wow yeah it, uh, did it just slowly get better over time i mean mm-hmm. oh, okay or is it yes. something that you had to you know like you used specific mm-hmm. studying techniques or you know Hmm, not really. It's just something that got better over time. I just, I just try to, to survive the everyday. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I remember trying to learn a couple words a day. 
sometimes somebody would say a word or would use a word in a in a way that was just catchy uh, for me that day. So I would make some like mental exercises for myself um, to to use that word. And of course, I would like overuse the word for the next week or so. <laughs> um, so I, I don't think that I, I did anything um, in particular to, to get better. I just I feel like with the experience of the everyday at school, um, it ended up happening. And, and, of course, the patient people that that took time to talk to me and wait for me to come up with words um, in a conversation instead of, like, you know, cutting it short because they were out of time or out of patience. So um, thanks to, to things like that, I, yeah, I somehow made it. <laughs> So you mentioned that um, you had simultaneously won uh, an orchestral position in the opera, um, and uh, you also had a teaching position. Was that always something that you wanted to do, was to have both sides of the career, um, or were you just leaning to one or the other and both happened at the same time? I always felt like I wanted to do both, like one without the other was empty, was just simply not, not complete. I, I would tell people at church, like, yes, I definitely want to teach and play and keep those going. So I always knew. So you are the first American to place as a finalist in the 2014 Barbaroli International Oboe Competition. Could you talk to us about that experience and, you know, what it was like and what it felt like and how you prepared? And we want to know all of it. Ah, wow. Uh, do I really have to go through all of that again? <laughs> um, uh, it was it was a great experience for sure um such a big project um it it was very hard for me to go through it too well nancy um nancy ambrose king is oh my goodness such an amazing um teacher and 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 always and musician um and and she she just loved challenges and and she loved keeping her students challenged and um she actually um had me go to the the Barbarelli competition um i feel like it was 2 years prior to 2014 the one that i ended up placing um and i was so not ready for for that first experience um i didn't make it past the first round um and i was very insecure i just felt like i was i was just not ready for it but um that experience was instrumental in preparing me for for the next one because i knew uh what was expected i knew um what i needed to prepare um there this this competition has five rounds, so three preliminaries and a semi and a final, and they're live. They're not um, that kind of competition where you send in a, a CD, uh, a recording. So I knew that in my preparation, I had to um, just 
just be able to to play these six pieces. I think they were six significant pieces of repertoire. Um, yeah, very very um, securely. So in my preparation, I I used pieces that I some some pieces that I already knew, of course, and also some newer pieces in order to comply with the variety of repertoire that's required. Um, and I I went with the mentality of I'm just gonna compete and try to do better than the previous time, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and just just try to um, achieve a higher level for myself. So um, I got there, and of course everything was familiar. So I had that on 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 my side. I was not so overwhelmed with everything because I had already been there. But then my suitcase actually didn't make it oh, <laughs> there. No. So, so I only had the clothes that I was traveling with and my oboe and, of course, the, the music. Um, I feel like that didn't throw me off so much for, for the first rounds. Um, but, of course, everybody was like, oh, no, you don't have your suitcase. Let's help you find some clothes. So I was, like, playing round after round with, like, this mismatch outfits. <laughs> um, so um, I made it into the, the the semifinals, and I think that's that's when my bag actually ended up arriving after, like, international phone calls and, yeah, just, like, running around trying to find my bag that was lost somewhere in Chicago. Mm. Um, and that night... This is the moment that I remember the most because the night of the announcement of the finalists, by that point, I was so tired. I was so exhausted. Um, I guess I didn't prepare for for the exhaustion um, of playing so many rounds one after the other, day after day, Um, and, and also the rehearsals with the pianist. So it's like you mentally have to, you know, stay on for days. Um. So so that night of the announcement, I was, like, so out of it. It was probably after 10 p.m. Um, because it, there was a concert, and, and the concert went kind of long. Um, and I had a headache. So I came back to the hall to, you know, listen to the announcement. And I was all, like, leaning back on my chair on my seat because I was so tired. I was... Yeah, I was ready for bed. Um, I was already, like, daydreaming, making plans for what I was going to do the next day and how I was going to rest and enjoy my time in the Isle of Man. And um, I, I heard the announcement kind of, like, deviating. And, you know, the person said, like, oh, and, and so you all know this year we have a variety of countries represented in our finals. And I was like, oh, no. That does not sound like a conventional country. <laughs> so from Puerto Rico, and then everything just went blank. Like mm. my heart just stopped. I was like, well, for sure, there's nobody else from Puerto Rico here. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I just felt like, like yeah, my my imposter syndrome like kicked in, and I was convinced there was some some sort of mistake. Like the judges were just like 
not paying attention to my playing and they probably just forgot to write comments when I was playing. So they selected me out of like insufficient, insufficient information or something like that. Um, so I really doubt that's what happened, you know, round after round with mm-hmm. um, such a world-renowned panel of, of judges. Um, I remember the competitors came to, you know, say their congratulations. And and I just felt terrible because I thought some of them deserved to, to be in my place. I, I heard them and they were so amazing. I was, you know, so, so impressed with, with um, you know, listening to, to these performances from everybody. So um, they they made plans to go out, to hang out. And, of course, they they invited me, but then I, I declined because you have to go to bed to go to early re- rehearsals the next day. Um, so I I just didn't prepare for, for that moment. I feel like I prepared for everything except for that moment. Um, I feel like, you know, in the movies when, when somebody like gets a concussion and they have like a hard time hearing what other people are telling them, like, Hey, are you okay? Are you okay? Um, because I was like so disoriented after that point. I was like, uh, why? (laughs) What am I doing here? What's life? Why do I even play this thing? (laughs) So, um, I, I ended up playing the, the finals, um, but I was like just um, focused on the wrong things. Like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna play. I'm gonna survive this. I'm just gonna try to not make mistakes. And um, oh my goodness, what are what are they gonna be thinking? Like, they're gonna be looking at me playing on stage, saying like, okay, let's see why she's there and we're not. And that was just totally the wrong the wrong attitude. Um, and I I wish I had I had you know, like prepared for, for that feeling, you know, being exhausted and sort of like losing um, track of, of your center. Um, so so I, I end up using that story um, to teach my students to, to have energy till the very end, to not give up um, even when they think they, they have nothing left, there is always something left and, and a way to tap into it. So you described how exhaustion and uh, imposter syndrome were kind of this perfect storm mm-hmm. in that situation. <laughs> uh, what advice do you have for other musicians who are struggling with imposter syndrome and those feelings of, I don't deserve this and I don't belong here? Ah, uh, Right. Did I learn something out of that experience? Let's see. Um, <laughs> I feel like, like I just needed to tell myself that that what I'm seeing through my own lenses is not necessarily reality. Mm-hmm. Um, when when you're overwhelmed, you don't see reality clearly, mm-hmm. and and you should just keep going. You should just you should go, just let 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 things take care of themselves, and the fact that that you don't see clearly doesn't mean that something is not meant for you. And yeah, don't be so hard on yourself. Right. <laughs> yeah, enjoy what you're doing while it lasts. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Um, what are some of your favorite things to do for self-care? You seem like a really driven person who has a lot going on all the time. So what do you do for yourself that recenters you? Hmm. Wow. I I don't think I'm very exemplary when it comes to to self care. <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I. No, I'm I'm not. I'm not good at it. I have actually grown worse at it with the years. <laughs> but um. I find simple things like funny YouTube videos to to help with my stress levels, especially those that make fun of the nature of our profession. Oh my gosh, I love those. <laughs> um, yeah, they make me laugh. And and like if you're um, watching them right before performances and things like that, like they just like help me drain some of the adrenaline and. Um, I also like to to just do something other than than working like take care of my house and take care of my my lawn. We have a we we purchase a house with a like a huge lawn. It takes like an hour and a half to just mow it. <laughs> and, and I find that actually to be pretty like therapeutical um and and then to like sit down at at the end and just like enjoy the finished work. And, like that just gives me such a a good sense of like okay See, life is good. <laughs> a task that is completed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, because work usually is this endless, mm-hmm. looping thing, and, and you feel like you're drowning the whole time. So mm-hmm. so I do like, you know, just, yeah, achieving simple tasks that do conclude. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I feel like, yeah, I've been, I've been terrible at, at that lately. I used to run before. Um but now just watching TV like briefly here and there after, you know, three weeks of, of you know, work that doesn't stop. Um, it's, it's something that that's, that's just refreshing to just do something ordinary and, and just relax for, for some time. So yeah, I'm terrible at it. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of practice, do you have a warm up? regimen that you do and how do you structure your practice sessions so they're as efficient as possible? I used to have more structure before um, with more like segments to to my practice session. Uh, Lately what I do is um, a warm-up for for the stream of condensation of the instrument um, to to get set right, so I play in the low register and I made some some exercises for for myself um, for for my pinkies to warm up and um, for me to be um, like more agile with alternate fingerings and things like that. And this is all in the low register for like two minutes. And then after that, I like to do. Um, like scales in thirds. I love scales in thirds. Um, also with like fluidity in my fingers. I'm a strong believer on that. And, and, and I consider those same scales to, to be a, a long tone for, for my embouchure. Sometimes I even do them with circular breathing and, and things like that. 
um and i just i just find it it's it's a quicker way to to get where i'm trying to get and and then after that i just go right right into all the repertoire that i need to be practicing for recitals or the opera oh my goodness those opera books are endless mm-hmm. <laughs> um or or any other performances and gigs so um yeah i feel like as a student my my practice sessions would definitely have many more separated segments and now it's just like okay what needs to be done now right, right. <laughs> um, but i but i but i do have goals i do have um sort of um phases in in my my daily practice where i'm trying to achieve different goals as as i move along so um so that's kind of how it looks like at the moment <laughs> do you have any favorite repertoire that you use when you teach when i teach um well, I do teach the standards. Um, I enjoy I enjoy teaching things like the Goosens Concerto and the Von Williams and Mozart. I find those are such um, iconic pieces in our repertoire that after teaching it time after time um it's so easy to to have so many ideas and and to just really understand the piece um but i also like teaching uh contemporary repertoire um works by silvestrini and things like that mm-hmm. um oh and it's so exciting to to see when students are they, when when they become so um like connected with extended techniques and and contemporary music when when they actually are excited about pursuing this on their own and coming they come up with pieces of their own that they want to they want to learn um because i find in contemporary music you need all of the skills that other styles other eras of music um teach you so in order to make it work, you really have to think hard uh, about things that you can use to, to really sell this and, and to really um, make it connect with the audience. So, so yeah, I enjoy teaching those too. Can you tell us about a favorite memory of a past performance? Mm, I do have one. And... It actually made it into the list because of what happened after the performance rather than during what was happening during the performance. Um, my husband and I were playing at a home um, with a, a friend, a good friend, violin player. And after our performance, you know, we would talk and we would play and um the, the the people were just so engaged in in what we were doing um they just enjoy so much when musicians come to the home and and perform for them you can see it in their faces when when they're just taking into every single turn of of the music every single twist of it and and that to me is is so meaningful but what was particularly 
um, amazing was the fact that this gentleman at the very end, he came by and he told us, um, like, oh, your music, your music is, is better than the medicine they give us. Oh. And all of a sudden I was like, wow, like, I didn't, I can't believe I've been forgetting how powerful music actually is. And, and I, I felt like I had been missing the point in all of those years of study and, you know, trying to get better, trying to get better, trying to get better. Um, that, that, that music is not for ourselves. I, I don't know, that just stuck with me forever. And the gentleman was so sweet as well that I, that's definitely my, my favorite memory of a, of a performance. Um, one of our new favorite follow-up questions to that has become, do you have any embarrassing memories or scary <laughs> memories? Anything oh, you'd no. like to share? <laughs> uh, um, I fainted once playing the oboe. Oh. In public? <laughs> <laughs> On stage? Uh, yes. Oh, my oh. God. Uh, well, it was it was actually a church, um, and I think it, it was a Christmas concert or something. Um, and I had stood up to to play Jisu Joy of Man Desiring with my husband at the piano, and I was you know waiting for my turn, sitting down, um, and then of course you know you stand up to go to play. And as soon as I stood up, I was like. Well, this feels funny, but, you know, you have to, like, start playing. So, you know, take deep breaths and keep it together and start playing. So off I went, and I remember playing, like, few bars of this and then, like, feeling like I was, like, losing my balance. And I was like, oh, no. So I stopped playing, and I actually, like, hold on to the music stand. <laughs> and my husband was behind me and and he was like, Nermis, are you okay? And I just turned to him and I was like, Just just keep playing, just keep playing, just keep playing. So he started playing his part and my part. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was just like trying to not fall. And I really can't remember much. According to my husband, I did fail. But according to myself, I, I basically just locked my knees. I was like, I'm not going down. <laughs> but, 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 well, yes, I fainted. I, uh, my husband actually somehow catch me. I don't, I don't know how he can do all of this stuff. It was hilarious. It was hilarious. Like he was like playing my part, catching me in the air. <laughs> And then I think I think I sort of remember somebody saying like call nine one one, and then yeah I I I was so embarrassed um like I was like oh my goodness I totally ruined this concert like what are these people going to 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 feel like like you know like this Christmas concert is like ruined. <laughs> So I was like asking about the concert when you know they they pulled me out of stage and they were you know like giving me a I don't know you know just like checking my pulse or something 
And and I was like, oh, the concert, the concert. And they were like, it's okay. It's all good. You're fine. Don't worry about the concert. And I was like, just so into like, I got to keep playing mode. <laughs> so um, it ended up, I, I was just very dehydrated. I mean, it gets so dry when it's so cold. And, and if you forget to drink water, um, you can faint when you're playing. So please drink water. <laughs> Wow. I love how you were like, I am not going down. <laughs> I am not going down. Yeah, I was so embarrassed. I just couldn't believe it. My sister was later telling me, like, oh, don't feel bad. If anything, more people are going to go to church next Sunday because they're going to go like, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen this week? We got to go. We, we should not, you know, like, miss this. <laughs> and I was like, ha, ha, funny. <laughs> That was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> That's great. Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, this question is not on the list, but a listener sent it in as a suggestion, and I loved it. So I want to ask, um, what's the greatest but most underrated or hidden gem piece of repertoire you can think of? Hidden gem. Uh, I do like obscure pieces, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I feel like the ones that I'm thinking about are not so hidden. Like, I like the fancy interlude. Oh, I don't know it. Um, it's originally for for string quartet, and there are a few recordings out there. Um, it's just so beautiful. It uses the the oboe in such an elegant way, such a luxurious way, and and also the the, the string ensemble or um, there's also a version for, for piano. So, um, yeah, that's one that I can think of. But it, it's not so hidden, but yeah, yeah, it's a great piece, too. So what, do you, what advice do you have for a young person who aspires to have a career like yours? I would say that at the end of the day, it's all about what the music means to you. We are artists in training, and we must um, seize every opportunity to be as artistic as possible. Um, in the practice room every day, in lessons, in performances, in auditions, there's something very different about being a good musician and, and being a good instrumentalist. Um, and I find being an artist is, is the most challenging, for sure. And it's so, so, so essential. Um, but sometimes, like, we, we forget and, and we perform with great musicianship and we hit every note or we play in tune and we play together and we do the dynamics that are on the page. But I feel like the opportunities that I've gotten where because I, I told myself, remember, you have to, to tell something to these people. You have to take them through a journey. You, you have to make, create some kind of drama for them to enjoy. Any audience member wants to, to listen to music and, and feel something. Um, 
And I feel that that has been very important in my career, um, keeping that inside. Not all the time, um, unfortunately, but I think all of us young people should should keep that in mind. It it really opened doors in in your career. I mean, you're an artist, so that's what what you're meant to do. That's what you're supposed to do. That's beautiful. I love that. In closing, could you tell our listeners where to find you on the Internet and if you have any upcoming performances you're excited about that you want to share? (sighs) By excited, you mean nervous? (laughs) Sure, (laughs) nervous, too. That works. (laughs) Um, I have a website. Uh, It's just a very simple website, nermismieses.com. You can probably just Google it and um, also, I'm pretty accessible through Facebook. If I see you with an, holding an oboe on your profile picture, I most likely just friend you right away without asking any more questions. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my my Bowling Green State studio also has a, a Facebook page, but we mainly use it to post silly things and funny videos and things like that, just like to celebrate who we are and, yeah. The, the fun we have doing what, what we do. Let's see. Upcoming performances. Um, I'm going to be in Tucson at the end of the month at University of Arizona. And I have my faculty recital um, at BGSU. That, that, that actually can be streamed live um, through our BGSU page. Um, perhaps you can even Google live stream BGSU College of Musical Art. Uh, after that, I go to Eastman, uh, I think it's February 13th, and uh, then I start opera season um, with Prokofiev, Romeo and Juliet, and Ricky Gordon's 27, and Tosca, and this and that, so that will basically put me into May easily. <laughs> <laughs> so not busy at all, then? <laughs> at all, no. no. <laughs> Well, Naramis, thank you so much. It has been so lovely to talk to you, and thank you for sharing all of your insights mm-hmm. and ideas with our listeners. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, the, you guys are so much fun. <laughs> I, can't wait, I can't wait to the many episodes coming ahead. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. We hope you loved that interview with Nermis Miesis as much as we did. Come find us on our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you can always email us at doubleredish at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us for our next episode where we will welcome special guest George Sakakini, professor of bassoon at the Eastman School of Music.